0: Well, thankfully, the snow, rain, and ice uh, storm that we were anticipating didn't happen. But as we all know, a really bad storm can be a frightening experience, even if it doesn't involve snow and ice. I remember one several years ago, many years ago, when the kids were little, and we were boating on Lake Springfield. We were near the dam at the northern end of the lake when the clouds started rolling. As the sky grew darker, I finally decided it was time to head for the boat ramp on the opposite end of the lake. Before long, lightning was flashing all around us, and I noticed that we were the only lightning rod on the lake. I think I prayed harder that day than ever before. Fortunately, a couple from the church, the Merricks, lived on the lake, and they provided a safe harbor, and everything turned out fine, but I was really afraid, not afraid of the storm so much as afraid I had done something really stupid by staying on the lake too long and putting my family in jeopardy. But storms in and of themselves can be very frightening. And in our text for today, we see a couple of storms that were very frightening indeed. One was at sea, and the other was in a life, but Jesus calmed them both. The two uh, incidents took place when Jesus decided to leave the crowds for a time of rest and to be alone with the disciples. And on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the multitude, they took him along with them, just as he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. Jesus had been keeping a very busy schedule, so busy, in fact, that his family was worried about him. He wasn't even taking time to eat. He'd been trying to meet the crowd's expectations, healing them by the hundreds, all the while trying to teach them vital spiritual truths. But he changed his approach on this particular day. He backed off on the miracles, and to keep the miracle-hungry mob at bay, he taught from a boat anchored offshore. He also gave up trying to teach in a direct straightforward manner. He started teaching in parables, telling little stories, hoping to maintain interest long enough to plant a few seeds for thought that might take root and grow in at least some of their lives. When evening came, he decided to leave the crowds for a time. He instructed the disciples to lift anchor and leave the populous western shore and head some five or six miles across the Sea of Galilee to the relatively unpopulated eastern shore. It was on the way to that eastern shore that Jesus and his disciples encountered a storm at sea, continuing in Mark 4. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. And he himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And being aroused, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. What a scene that must have been. And what a storm. This storm was so fierce that even fishermen... Who had made a living on the sea panicked. They had never been in a storm like this one. Not that bad storms were unusual on the Sea of Galilee. In fact, it was known for its storms. It lies 628 feet below sea level, and wind funnels through the surrounding mountains in such a way that it creates many hurricanes on this inland sea. But this was even worse. Than usual, with waves breaking over the boat, filling it with water. Surprisingly, however, in the midst of all this, Jesus had fallen asleep. Now that really bothered the disciples, and they woke him with the charge Teacher, do you not care? Do you not care that we're perishing? They felt like Jesus was indifferent to their plight. Apparently he had fallen asleep after the storm had begun because had he gone to sleep before it arose, they wouldn't have felt that he didn't care. He wouldn't have known about it and they would have awakened him to inform him, not to accuse him. But they accused him. He had gone asleep on them when they really needed him. Didn't he care? Have you ever felt like that? Who hasn't? Who hasn't? You know, we're being swamped by troubles, and it seems as if God has closed his eyes, as if he doesn't want to get involved. That's how the disciples felt. So they woke him up. What they expected him to do, I have no idea. But they sure didn't want him to just be there. They wanted him to do something. So he arose And rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush! Be still. Actually, in the original language, he said, Be muzzled. Immediately, the storm ceased. The waves broke up. And an eerie calm fell on everything. It was a miracle. But the miracle wasn't that the storm quit. It would have eventually quit anyway. The miracle was the suddenness. With which the storm ceased. All of a sudden, the wind stopped. And as if a giant hand pressed them down, the waves were gone. Now, some have suggested that Jesus poured a little oil on the water and that's what calmed the sea. Others suggest he didn't really calm the sea, he just calmed the disciples. But both suggestions are ludicrous. Jesus said, be muzzled, and the storm was over. But who or what was Jesus addressing? Was he talking to the wind and to the waves? Do they control themselves? No, no, he had to be talking to the force behind them. But who was that? Was it God? I doubt it. Even the Son of God wouldn't say to his father, be muzzled. And Mother Nature doesn't exist. So who is he talking to? Well, in Mark one twenty-five, we find Jesus telling an unclean spirit in the synagogue at Capernaum to be quiet. But again, in the original language, he said, be muzzled. And that gives us, I think, an obvious clue who he's addressing here. You know, we generally refer to natural disasters, to earthquakes, famines, floods, tornadoes, and so forth as as acts of God. But when you remember that we live in a fallen world, and that even nature has been thrown out of balance by sin, you come to realize that natural disasters can be the handiwork of Satan. That was certainly the case when Satan caused a great wind to blow down the house where Job's family was having a birthday party. And it would appear that Satan was behind this storm as well. If that's the case, Jesus is addressing Satan, not the elements, when he said, be muzzled. And Satan immediately obeyed. And the storm was over. Jesus then addressed the disciples and he said to them, Why were you so timid? How is it that you have no faith? Why are you so timid? Why? Are you so afraid? You know, that seems a strange question to ask men who had just been through the roughest storm in their life. Why are you afraid? Who wouldn't have been? The boat almost swamped. But then, apparently ignoring what they'd been through, Jesus confronted them with, how is it that you have no faith? In doing so, I think he put his finger on why people become afraid. Circumstances have little to do with it. People become afraid because they lose faith. And faith is the answer to fear, regardless of the circumstances. These men had lost faith. They had forgotten all the things Jesus had taught them in the Sermon on the Mount about the extent of God's care for them. And they had forgotten who was in the boat with them. Jesus was in the boat. You'd think they'd realize that if Jesus is in the boat, the boat won't sink. And you'd think they would have realized that Storms don't last forever. You know how we need to be reminded of those facts when our circumstances look bleak. The boat won't sink, and the storm won't last forever. Faith is the answer to fear. Faith in the presence of Jesus and faith in the goodness and care of our heavenly father. He'll not forsake us. He loves us. He proved it. Once and for all on the cross, he'll not abandon us. He'll go with us through the storms of life and even through the valley of the shadow of death. Don't ever forget that. Never forget who's in the boat with you. But if you do, don't think he'll jump ship. He may have to confront you with your lack of faith, but he will not forsake you. In fact, a momentary failure of faith can actually be a doorway to even greater faith. It was for the disciples. And they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. The disciples were filled with another type of fear now, awe and wonder at the power of Jesus. They didn't know what Jesus would do when they woke him up, but now they they knew what he could do, and his power overwhelmed them. They had underestimated their Lord. Their faith had failed them, but now it was stronger than it had ever been. They had seen what he could do. They had seen him in action. Had they not gone through the storm, they would have never witnessed this aspect of his power. And we too must go through some storms to realize what kind of God we have. And again, never forget that even if we lose faith for a time, our faith can come back stronger than ever. And it will if we'll keep our eyes open and get a new glimpse of his power and his care and his love. You know, as we all know, hindsight is much sharper than foresight. So don't forget to look back on situations in which you failed and be sure to look for the footprints in the sand of the one who carried you through. They'll be there. Jesus had calmed a terrible storm at sea, but now he was going to face a different type of storm, even more frightening than the one They had just been through. He was going to deal with a storm in a life. Sometimes the storms that go on inside us are even more frightening than those on the outside. And that was certainly true of a man who had the mother of all storms going on within him. And they came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerizanes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been torn apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. And constantly, night and day, among the tombs and in the mountains, he was crying out and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What do I have to do with you, son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to entreat him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a big herd of swine feeding there on the mountain. And the demons entreated him, saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. And he gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Now, this is without a doubt the clearest picture we get in Scripture of demonic possession. But it's still something we don't fully understand. Thankfully, it's something most of us never encounter, but it is real. This man was possessed by demons. The account tells us so, and his behavior and the behavior of the pigs prove it. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time discussing this because, frankly, we don't understand it. What we do know, however, is that this man's life was a real mess. Can you imagine the turmoil that was going on inside him? He had actually somehow come under the control of demonic forces. But yet, even in his condition, he had enough sense to come to Jesus for help. He came and bowed down before him. How he knew who Jesus was, we can only guess. Most likely the demons within him responded to the presence of the Son of God and he somehow learned from them who he was. And when he bowed, Jesus apparently ordered the spirits to come out of him. But before they did, they spoke. Why Jesus allowed them the liberty of speaking and why he granted the request to enter the swine again, we can only guess. Perhaps he simply wanted to take this opportunity to demonstrate the reality of demons. Now, 2,000 years later, we might dismiss this man's behavior as psychotic We can't explain the pig's behavior psychologically. (laughs) Something entered them and caused them to rush down the bank and drown themselves in the sea. Now, Like I said, there are a lot of things about this encounter we do not understand. What is clear, however, is that Jesus knew this man's need and calmed the storm. That had been raging within him for a long time. And the change became very obvious. And their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion. And they became frightened. And those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to entreat him to depart from their region. This man, who had been running through the tombs, naked, screaming and cutting himself with rocks, was now sitting with Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. What a difference Jesus can make. And what a truth we can learn here, for only Jesus can put us In our right mind, only our Creator can restore to us what He had intended us to be before we fell into the trap of sin. There are a lot of band-aids out there that society uses to try to patch us up, but only Jesus can really heal us. Only Jesus can truly calm the storms that rage within. What Jesus had done should have made him a hero in the garrisons. He had restored the man. But the people were more concerned about the pigs. And other changes they were afraid this Jesus might make in their community, so they begged him to leave. And Jesus won't stay where he's not wanted. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was entreating him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him. But he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. As Jesus was leaving, the man begged him to take him with him. But Jesus had a job for this man to do. He had a testimony that needed to be shared. There was little danger of crowds on the eastern shore mobbing Jesus and demanding that he meet their expectations. So Jesus did not tell this man to keep quiet about what had happened. He told him to share it. And that's what he would have us do today. If Jesus meets our needs, we should share him with others. That's how the good news spreads. And if Jesus has met our needs, we will share him with others. We won't be able to be quiet about it. We have found the one who can calm any storm. The storms that come from without, the dangers and situations and circumstances we find ourselves in can all be handled by him. If we'll just remember the boat won't sink, and the storm won't last forever, and the storms within. The habits and attitudes and hostilities that come from within that frighten us, and even demonic influences that can rip us apart and make us restless and discontented can all be calmed if we'll bow At the master's feet. Within or without, Jesus is Lord. And only he can calm any storm. But we have to invite him into our life, into our boat. For without him, we'll just drift through life like a ship without a sail Destined to crash in the storms that will come. Don't let that happen to you. If you've not done so, today is the day to invite Jesus into the boat of your life.